Welcome to Shop Talk Live, episode number 218. This week, it is so great to finally get Megan Fitzpatrick on the show. Talk some hand tools, talk some moxon vices, all that jazz. She's hanging out in the Lost Art Press workshop. Her good buddy Chris Schwarz chimes in from time to time for a little comic relief. Also note that Barry's computer might have died in the middle of this recording. It was making for some interesting conversation for the first question or so, but we got through it. This week, if all goes as planned, we have a webinar coming up with the one and only Al Breed, and he'll be talking about his favorite hand tools. For those who don't know, Al is one of the end-all be-all legends in the period furniture world. Just about the nicest guy you'll ever meet. And has probably booked more hours behind a workbench than anyone you're going to find. It will be this next Thursday, the 25th of June. Now, this weekend, I want to let everyone know that we have six video workshops that are going to be free this weekend in celebration of Father's Day. So, be a father or not, jump on finewoodworking.com and there will be six video workshops. We've got Pekovich, we've got Michael Fortune, Steve Lotta, Garrett Hack, Kevin Rodell, and more. This is this is kind of a big thing. We don't do this that often. So head on over to findwoodworking.com this weekend and watch hours and hours of free premium content. And if you dig it, sign up for an unlimited membership. It makes this podcast run. Another thing that makes this podcast run is ads like this. Did you know that Lee Valley has free shipping on orders of $30 or more right now? They've been doing it almost the entire lockdown period, and I think it's incredible service that they've been giving to the community. To help you get to that $30 mark, I'm going to make your life really, really simple. You can order anything and add to that for $27.50 Lee Valley's 50-piece magnet sampler. This is a fantastic collection of magnets. So 50 magnets, 50, 50 magnets. These are all great sizes you're going to need. You know you need a drawer filled with magnets in your life. Everybody needs a drawer filled with magnets. Get a 50-piece magnet sampler and pretty much anything else, and you're going to get free shipping from Lee Valley right now on any order of $30 or more. LeeValley.com So Barry and I are joined by Megan Fitzpatrick. Megan, are you at Lost Art Press right now? I am at Lost Art Press right now. Um, and so what have you been up to in this pandemic? Well, for, I, I flew back through Seattle right when it hit. So that was a little bit scary, but when I got home, I think I was back at the shop here for maybe three days and then the governor shut everything down in both Kentucky and Ohio. So I was working from home, doing a lot of editing online, thankfully with freelance editing that is possible to do at home. So, um, I just didn't see anybody for a while. <laughs> any any fun editing going on, or like what's what's in the works at Lost Art? Well, it's always fun here. We don't do books that aren't fun. <laughs> you know that. Uh, mostly in the last couple months, I've been working on uh, a revision of Drew Langsner's Country Woodshop, and that is well into the design phase right now. I finished the copy stuff uh, sometime back. And that I'm not sure when it'll be out, but sometime later this year is the uh, hope. And we also got Nancy Hiller's new book, Kitchen Think. It's actually being uploaded to press even as we speak. In fact, it might already be there. So we just finished that this morning and that should be out. Well, if all goes well with the proofs in about six weeks. 
And what else? Oh, right. Working on this one's exciting and everyone's been waiting for it for some time. Jenny Alexander's uh, the third edition of the Taunton classic, uh, Make a Chair from a Tree. It's been um, significantly updated and it'll have new drawings and all of the new processes that Jenny and others uh, developed over the years since it was first published. And hopefully that will be out late this year. That's, That's yeah. Very exciting. There's a lot of, I mean, I, I think I had heard a little bit of the Drew Langster country workshops coming. That's exciting that there's a new version of that. That's really, yeah. And like with the Jenny book, he's updated it significantly because it's been what, 30 years or so. I can't do the math. I have an English degree, but uh, he's added a lot of stuff that he's learned over the years. And so that's exciting. Fantastic. So um, we have some questions that have been in the queue for a while that have been waiting on. Oh dear. Cause you are the expert in many of these. That's programs. terrifying. So um, <laughs> well, we're talking about language or maybe dovetails. <laughs> Shakespeare. Shakespeare's the, good. Yeah. Some, some, Shakespeare. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good. Yeah. Well, I'm in good company. Roy Underhill trained as, as a Shakespearean actor. So there's a clear progression from studying Shakespeare to woodworking <laughs> and to woodworking in particular. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would, I would love to see Roy do a version of, of Hamlet or something. Well, I have to say one of the best things I have ever seen. And uh, Peter Follinsby was there too. We were down at Roy's shop and we went into this, very odd uh, community playhouse space and Roy Underhill was up on stage, go figure. And he's just started uh, doing a soliloquy. Uh, I, I, I can't remember which one it is off the top of my head, but this young child, maybe eight or nine walked in and Roy started talking to him and said, have you ever heard Shakespeare? And the kid said, no, with a look of derision on his face. And Roy just started pulling him up on stage and speaking to him, cool. um, trying to get a reaction from him. And by the time Roy was done, the kid had the biggest smile on his face and said he was going to go read some Shakespeare. I don't know if it's true, but it was really a side of Roy you don't see all that often. And it was, it was quite wonderful. That's yeah. awesome. That's great. I can... Absolutely imagine Roy just pulling anyone onto stage at any moment. I think it was the um, opening to Henry V, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's um this first question we have is from Brendan. Uh I'm a beginner apartment woodworker in San Francisco who volunteers at City College at City College of San Francisco's woodshop as an assistant. At home, my kitchen counter peninsula is my bench. So building a Moxon vice is making more and more sense. I tried to reverse engineer the practicalities from all the commercial kits and plans for twin screw slash Moxon vices. And there's one persistent dimension that keeps coming up 24 inches between the screws though. Each mentioned 16 inches is more practical for all, but casework. looking at the casework around me, dressers, kitchen cabinets, drawer boxes, bathroom vanities, console tables, nothing is actually deeper than 20 inches and most are three inch and most have three to eight inch drawers or 12 to 18 inch carcasses. So why is 24 inches the norm? 
Are deep armoires and waterfall desks that outer limit? Is there another practical woodworking use for moxins at 24 inches? Well, <laughs> we have uh, several here and I have a few more at home because I do love a moxin vise. It comes in handy, as I'm sure Brendan knows, for pulling cup out of boards and just for holding everything steady as you're dovetailing. But the reason I like a 24, and actually I like it to be 24 and an eighth, is because uh, the anarchist tool chest, the English tool chest, is 24 inches wide. So if you're doing something of that size, uh, the ATC or a blanket chest or perhaps even a dresser of drawers, occasionally you do need that larger size and it comes in awfully handy when you do need it. Do I always need it? No, but there's no problem with doing smaller work in a 24 inch uh, in between screws mox and vice so to have one that is large enough for the work that you might want to do at least on occasion is very handy so if i were going to build one i would absolutely recommend 24 and an eighth unless all you do is smaller work and i don't think anyone ever knows what they're going to do for the long haul when they get started. So might as well start out right and make one that you can use for the long term. So, so there's, there's no um, significant downside to having a 24 inch, uh, 24 and an eighth inch Moxman Vice. <laughs> um, if 90% of the time you're doing 10 inch cases or something, it's not more difficult to use, right? Oh no, it weighs a little more, but you know, and it takes up a tiny bit more space, but I just store it either under the bench or on end in a corner and uh, either way, pull it out when I need it. It really, if I'm doing a two inch wide, tiny dovetailed tray, it still comes in awfully handy and you don't, uh, there's no tray, like the wider width of it doesn't keep you from clamping tightly as long as your chops are thick enough yeah. uh, on small casework. So, or small boxes. What? Oh, so the thick the thick chops would just keep things from flexing? Right, more, right. If your what? chop is too thin, it can flex. So if you have a thin chop and you've got 24 between your screws, yes, it could possibly flex more in the middle on thinner work. But if you have a, a well-sized chop, you know, an, an inch and an eighth or bigger in a hardwood on, on both the front and back, the size uh, doesn't transfer any flex uh, or the size of the work won't uh, affect the, the flex of the vise. So... Did that make sense? Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So what's your, what's your go-to um, if, if you were, if, if you had to live for the rest of your life with only one mox on vice, what would be your wood selection? 24 and an eighth, I assume. Yeah. Well, slightly over 24 or you make your ATC 23 and seven eighths. Either yeah. one. <laughs> so what, what would be your wood selection and your, chop size and what would be your hardware well i love the bench crafted hardware it just works so well it's a little on the pricey side but you buy it once and you're done and it really will last i think the rest of your life i've had the first one i built for oh maybe 12 years now and it still performs exactly as well as it did when I first put it together, which is to say wonderfully. Uh, it's got hard maple chops. Uh, they are, I'd have to go measure, but I think they're an inch and a quarter thick. And uh, they're about five inches wide. And 
it served me well. I have the inside. I did have the inside lined with some leather from an old skirt um, that didn't fit anymore. And that sort of peeled off after a while. I probably should replace that with uh, Crubber, which is a rubber and um, uh, cork uh, composite. But I don't really need to. So that's what I would do is build a good one to start and it'll serve you well. There is, there is other hardware available, but I just like, I just like the bench crafted stuff though. So. Yeah. Personal choice. You can make your own too out of screws and wheels from with Acme threads from McMaster car or Granger or whatever, but I don't like to do that much searching. So. Yeah. <laughs> so Barry, do do you have a Moxon vice? Have you ever? No, I never used one. Um, I've since started doing mox and vice type operations, squatting down because I use pull saws. Um, so read Andrew Hunter's Power of the Pull Stroke article for that. Oh, one. now I gotta make note of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when I was doing stuff upright, I would just clamp across the bench, which wasn't wonderful, you know. And it was every time I did it, I went, "Why don't I just make a mox and vice?" Yeah. Um. So no, no firsthand experience. Well, well, for people who don't have one, uh, two large hand screws also come in handy because you can flatten the work like that, put those flat on the bench, and then use hold faster clamps to hold those on the bench. Mm -hmm. So it's not the easiest solution, but it is a solution if you don't have or want to build one. So I had a question. Sorry, Ben, go on. No, no. I had a question because he's talking about cutting dovetail. I'm he's talking about cutting dovetail specifically. No, I think he's just talking about casework and and wanting to. Right. I guess so. Because my, I jumped ahead to what about chopping? You know, because he's working on his countertop, mm -hmm. and it's like, well, cool, you've cut the tails, but now you got to chop some stuff. And I was wondering, is it worth it to do a mox and vice with like a platform in the back so he could? chop chisel, you know, chop down on that. Cause I'm assuming he doesn't want to do it on his countertop. Like is, is mock is a mox and vice only half of the equation. And if it is, is there, is there a way to fill in the other half? Well, we're at me and I were chopping on my countertop. I, and I do this on my bench too. I put down a piece of plywood or something under it while I'm chopping. Cause I don't want to chop oh, yeah. it on my bench either. Of course, and yeah. you wouldn't, I don't think, for me anyway, it wouldn't be as comfortable to chop on top of the vice, even if I had a bench on bench. I think mm -hmm. I think Jeff Miller wrote that for Fine Woodworking yeah. years ago. The bench on bench wouldn't be that comfortable for chopping because I like to get right over the work. And in yeah. fact, I sit down while I'm doing it. I'm late. I'm a lazy woodworker. I do too. So Anyone who says that. they don't is just yeah. I just discovered that my tool chest is perfect sitting height. Well, so whenever I just wheel that over in front of the bench and plop down, it's wonderful. Yep. Yep. So put a piece of plywood under the work on the kitchen countertop or your bench. And that way you won't chop into the show surface. I, um, my first vice was, I, I don't think I knew it was a, a Moxon vice, but it was, but it was two pipe clamps, um, screwed to through a board with, with holes through the back pipe clamp apparatus thing, screwing it on. And that was my Moxon vice. Um, and I used that as my only vice for years. 
And uh, I just like, I think it was when Chris's article came out with the two, uh, with two hand screws that that blew my mind sure. that you could use two hand screws to do all of your work holding basically for any operation these days. So you have only two hand screws now? You know damn right well. I do not only have two hand screws because you dropped one off the other week. I did. It was like a 30 pounder. <laughs> no. Well, that's what I, Jenny Alexander did is put two F style clamps through two, mm-hmm. two shops. And that was uh, her. She doesn't call it twin screw vice. So. It should be called a twin screw vice, honestly. It shows up in Moxon, but Moxon stole it from Filet as Chris has written about extensively. So it really, if we're going to call it anything, it should be called a Filet But there's an accent on the E, and it's too hard to spell. And so. that is not SEO friendly, Megan. No. <laughs> no I Google well. <laughs> well, Moxon wasn't either until he wrote about it. So. DIY yeah. Filet vice. I don't want to know what pops up when you misspell that one. <laughs> Um, (laughs) (laughs) All right. So question number two is from Will. A few weeks ago, my buddy and I got to discussing the merits of high-end marking tools, specifically a stare at six-inch combo square versus a set of tri-squares from woodpeckers. He asked what I felt I was getting with the stare at versus the woodpeckers for approximately the same price. While I know why I like the added versatility of the combo square, and it tends to fit better. It, it tends to fit better with my woodworking style. I also came to the conclusion that I would not mind having the woodpecker squares. That said, what do you think is a better investment as a first high-end square? Would you look at something different, something like the Veritas sliding square, Bridge City Toolworks, Tri Squares, which look dope AF? What's AF mean, Barry? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even go with something clever. I wish you'd give me a heads up. As that you're alley-oop. Oh. What was it? This is what happens when we're out of the office for too long. That was. I was going to be the Scotty Pippen there, man. <laughs> I went full Dennis Rodman. I'm just playing the defense, dude. Just grabbing some boards. There's no offense right now. All right. So. First high-end squares. What do you uh, like? What do you think, Megan? Well, I don't necessarily think in terms of my first square versus a good square later on. Again, I think you should buy the square you're going to use forever until you drop it and knock it out of square uh, for the rest of your woodworking. Uh, their bridge city tools. I think he mentioned are beautiful, but, uh, there's nothing wrong with a good stare at. And that's what I bought 15 years ago, both a, a six and a 12. And those are the ones I still use. And unless they get dropped, I don't think I'll ever need another one. And I don't see anything wrong with having multiple squares either though. So <laughs> might as well buy the woodpeckers too. You can never have too many squares or clamps. Yeah. I, I generally don't, I don't blanket agree with the whole buy your last one first mentality. Cause I like, you can't, you can't, if know. you can't. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Like if money isn't a problem, sure. I just, I always think about where I was, where 
you know, the idea of spending $80 on a stare was absolutely crazy to me. Um, until that was like my big Christmas present that year. Um, and my wife tells the story of like going to Home Depot and being like, my husband wants a stare at square. And they were like, what? <laughs> um, but, no, yeah. go on. Sorry, I didn't want to. That's Chris, not me. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but like. <laughs> is that a lump hammer on a one inch? Crucible. That it's is a lump hammer on a one-inch crucible podcast. That is a heck of a. That promo is dope AF. <laughs> you know, dope after. Um, ben, you're right. You can go to Home Depot and buy a square. The thing to do though is to test it for square while you're there at the store because if it's not square, it's not a square, and it's yeah. going to make your work harder. And that's one of my problems with. I understand the financial argument, certainly, but if you buy a tool that doesn't perform as it should, as a beginner, you're making your work even harder than it has to be. So make sure that you test that square at the store by drawing a line on one side, flipping it, drawing a line on the other to make sure it's square before you pony up your cash, because otherwise it's just going to frustrate you. Well, that's, oh, sorry, Barry, but I just, that is one place where I do think just go out and buy the good one. Mm. Um, I remember just being in my shop and saying, Oh my God, nothing square. I can't trust anything. And if I don't know what square is, how step number two is insurmountable. What's the point of building anything? And until I had that 12 inch stare, I was not able to rest easy in anything I did. And now looking back, I know how silly that is, but it became there's two, there's, there's two aspects of it. It became like my, my blankie, <laughs> like, like that was my safe haven. That was, I know square. I can tell you what's square and what's not square now. And also it's like holding a good square, something that you use that often. It set the bar for me for like what there's just something about holding a good square and 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 feeling the mass of a good square that is so satisfying and it just it informed my work throughout the day and the one of my pushbacks with the home center squares is i got one i think it was my first uh combo square and it was square i felt great like i beat the system or something but and i don't know what the name is but there are little metal tabs that grip the ruler when you tighten it down those were softer than the ruler. So they deformed over time and that square went out of square. And it's like, well, now I can't trust anything. But luckily the stare at used market is solid. You know, if you don't want to, if you don't have the 80 for a new 40, 50 for a used every day, you know? Yeah. yeah so. Or a Brown and Sharp or a Lufkin, any yeah. of the good brands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What now taking, Taking the quality level out of the equation, what do you think about buying a set of uh, of tri squares versus a combo square first? I don't have a set of tri squares, so. so oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I I wouldn't because you're going to need if you do that, you're going to need marking gauges, right? Which you should have anyway, but it's not like a one tool solution. I think you're going to need two at that point, and. 
the combo square helps so much for like machine setup too. And, you know, cutter height and 10 inch shoulders and it's mortise depth. Like it's not just layout. Whereas a tri square, I think is maybe more layout and verification as well as setting a blade to 90, but it's not as versatile. So it just doesn't, I think they're wonderful. And I use my one or two, my one tri square all the time, but it's just not, not as versatile. We do have one small woodpeckers tri-square in the shop, and that's in Chris's sharpening kit mm -hmm. so that you can show it to the edge of the blade after you've sharpened it just to see if it's flat or slightly curved. And that's handy because the anodized aluminum doesn't chip the blade right. when you push it into it. So, you know, oh. it's soft. So that is one thing. That, that is the one red tool that I can think of in our shop. So, so you're not blunting your tool? Oh. I like that. Okay. Well, I mean, I, you don't I, want to be jamming it up against yeah, it or yeah, anything, yeah, yeah. but you don't want to put that freshly sharpened blade against steel. Having yeah. it against the anodized aluminum is a safer solution and then holding it up to the light. So that's a really good point. The dude did ask about the, the Veritas sliding, sliding square. square. Yeah. That thing is awesome. Yeah. If I have, if I have to do layout, that's, you know, under three inches from an edge or whatever that capacity is. Cause the bearing surface on that, it looks like it's a, it's a thin sheet of metal in a holder. That's maybe three inches across. Mm -hmm. And unlike a combo square that has that little channel, the divot in the ruler. So it could be, so you can grab it. Yeah. It doesn't have that. Instead it's pinched from the side. So there's no, like all of a sudden your pencil slips into that little divot and so the Veritas sliding square is fantastic because it's a big old bearing surface. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, it would not be my first or second layout tool. I'm not sure it'd be my third. It'd probably be my third. It's, it's tremendous. <laughs> it is. I, yeah, it is. You're right. Um, but honestly, if I were going to buy a high-end score, and the Veritas one isn't, it's very affordable, you know, 40 bucks. But yeah. uh, the Vesper tools, I have a small square. Oh, yeah. It's just beautiful, and it's got that little tab on the back that lets it stay on top of the stay in place. Yeah. Chris Vesper's work is tremendous, uh, and it is better than it needs to be for woodworking tolerances. But you know, <laughs> blanky, you know? exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's I. I was just looking. I have I have five squares, and I don't make anything that's ninety degrees anymore. <laughs> Is that on purpose or? <laughs> well, no, it's just like nothing. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> well played, Megan. Thank you. <laughs> um, it's just like a square, like you said, you can never have enough. I mean, I'm not doing casework hardly at all. And I use squares all the time still. And, you know, I keep, I keep one of the Veritas little ruler squares or whatever in, in my apron. Yep. Um, that's my, my apron ruler and my square and my, you know, but is it my favorite square? No, not at all. Is it, you know, there's, you can, you can never have enough of these, but if you're going to start with one, I, I can't fathom having anyone start with anything other than a nice combo square. Yeah. One that, you know, is going to be square out of the box and that you can send back if it isn't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you start doing really large scale house renovation work, Ben? You're doing that. Oh yeah. You need a 24 inch stare at. <laughs> They're awesome. Have you seen it? 
You have a 24 inch Starrett? Hey, Chris. Will you bring me the 24 inch Starrett, please? <laughs> for, uh, for those who don't know, Megan is making Chris do Chris Schwartz do his bidding. Look at that. That's a monster. Uh, you can do home workouts with it that. It doesn't thing. even fit in the screen. I know. I <laughs> to show you. But yeah, it's amazing. That's awesome. Uh-huh. Is the anvil like six inches on that or something? I or think more? Actually probably eight, maybe nine. Yeah. $400. What? $400. No, I'm talking about the size of the. No, the, it, Chris is just bragging about uh, his money. No, sorry, yeah. dropping soon. <laughs> oh, four hundred bucks. It's it's lovely. That is <laughs> tremendous. That is insane. Okay. So, does that make your house renos easier or harder? Like, are you chasing <laughs> Starrett levels of tolerances? Well, that is a problem when you do uh, casework for basically a living or teach it, and you're always going for square, mm-hmm. and then you're renovating a hundred and twenty year old house. And you try to work to 30 seconds or 16ths when you're framing out walls and they're not going to stay square anyway. So I got over it, but it took me a while. Uh (laughs) But being able to strike a straight line. Yeah, that's helpful. A 24 inch square is faster to do that with than a straight edge. So, (laughs) Oh man, I am. I'm smitten. All right. Well, Let's uh, let's move on to our segment, which is uh, we're doing all-time favorite tool storage of all time for this week. And this one screwed me up, Megan. I'm sorry. This one this one kind of messed with my head. I sign on this morning. Two minutes later, message from Ben about this. <laughs> I I really had to dig deep on this one. Why? I see all your tools behind you on the wall there, and I love. I love my shop and I love the way I even store things, but none of it is at the level of all time favorite. <laughs> um, it's all very fine. It's just fine. <laughs> and <laughs> which I work for fine woodworking. So that's good. Right, they work. <laughs> um, so like, like there's, there's so many elements <laughs> Shut up, Can you Greg. imagine we were called very fine woodworking? <laughs> it's, it's very fine. It's very, very at fine. least we're not called just fine woodworking. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I don't have a tool chest right now. I don't have a tool cabinet or anything. I've been doing things so that if I own it, it has to be used enough to be on display or on the wall. Have a specific home. And, uh, so I, I just haven't had a need for anything. I made a tool chest back when we had the fine woodworking shop and I should have made a different style of tool chest, which I think you will get to later. But instead I'm the guy who goes, screw that. I'm not doing what everyone else is doing. Um, and I tried to come up with a whole different version of tool chest and it was like an epic fail immediately (laughs) like as soon as i loaded my tools in it and started to get to work with it it was like oh this is why people don't make the style tool chest what was it well it was it was a big box that like it bifolded open so there was two lids that opened up and the thing that i didn't think about was hammocker and schlemmer table so it turned the use of the footprint from we'll say 24 by 16 
you when you opened it up, all of a sudden it was 32 inches wide because it became twice as wide. And there was no room to leave it open to work out of. And it was just a huge fail. I, I just, I, it's in my basement right now. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, but my, uh, my, when I started really thinking about it, I was thinking about all of the shops I've been to and all of the places, all of the tool chests I've seen. My favorite, like, like the, the one that speaks to me the most is actually Matt Kenny's tool chest. Hmm, I'm more familiar with Chris Bexford's, uh, but he just sold it. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so Matt made his so that it is broken up into three sections hmm. and they sit on top of one another. And I think he can even hang them on his wall. And they're very Matt Kenny looking very clean and they look great. Right. Um, but I love the idea of not having one really, really heavy tool cabinet because then he can just pack it up and put it in his truck and carry it by himself. I can do that with the Dutch tool chest too. Though. And segue to Megan's. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I admit I have Dutch tool chests on the brain because I am writing a book on it for lost on that form for lost art press. But, um, I do use one. I might teach that class a lot too. I use both the Dutch tool chest and an anarchist tool chest at home. I tend to use the anarchist tool chest, the English tool chest, the large sized one, just because it can hold the entire kit of everything I use on a regular basis. Well, okay. Not the table saw, but you know, <laughs> all the handles I use on a regular basis or even not on a regular basis fit in there. And then the Dutch tool chest is what I use to travel with. It's just a single level one with the slant lid. So that means you can't put anything on top of it, which is key because you will put something on top of a flat surface if there's a flat surface. But I can fit everything I need in there if I go on the road to teach a class. And if you have uh, still a smaller kit of tools, you really can fit just about everything you would need for building furniture in that form. Um, you don't find a trouble. You don't find trouble with having them on your walls with humidity and. I've gotten really lucky, and I was thinking about that too. Um, I haven't had any rust issues. Uh, I found a first bit of rust on a blade that honestly gets stored in a like a um, it's a extra uh, Veritas blade that gets stored in the little plastic container. And I think that's holding the moisture in or whatever. And I pulled that out yesterday and there was a little bit of uh, surface rust on it, but I, I, I haven't had an issue. Hmm. Well, I mean, there's some benefit to keeping, at least for me, keeping everything in a tool chest because I work most of the time in a shared shop and well, you know, it's, it's harder to go and well, it's not harder, but people are more loath to go into a tool chest to pick something up than if it's hanging on a wall. Mm -hmm. Um, so I guess it keeps people from using my tools too, but my basement at home, uh, my other shop is fairly damp. You know, it's below grade. It's an yeah. old house. It's a stack stone basement. Water is meant to seep in. Uh, if it stays outside, it ruins your foundation. Home hints with Megan. So anyway, uh, there is actually moisture getting into my shop and I have a dehumidifier, but keeping it in the tool chest keeps uh, me from running into too much trouble with uh, any rust on tools that I use a lot. That said, I, or that I don't use a lot. I do wipe them down with an oily rag every time I put them away. 
So that helps too. But it also keeps the sawdust from getting on them from other work. And that is, I can never get this right, hygroscopic. It attracts uh, water because you're trying to reach equilibrium. And so keeping it protected from a coat of dust helps to keep the moisture from getting to the tools. Yeah. And I just like having things neat and organized in my shop. So it does that too. I was, I was in a basement shop in, in Nashville and everything rusted. Everything rusted. Well, higher humidity in Nashville yeah. than in Connecticut too. So. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Barry? What's your. So I'm not, I'm kind of with you. I'm not sure if this rises to the all time favorite, you know, strata because I've, I move a lot. And so I think this is the longest I've lived somewhere that wasn't my parents. And it's been like two years. So I don't have my tool storage is regularly changing and I could build a tool chest <laughs> and just haul that everywhere. But I really love the look of tool walls and I love the handiness and I haven't had an issue with rust. So I tend to do tool walls. Um, it's kind of part of the ceremony of getting a shop together in my new, whatever new apartment I have. But I realized, I think my bench is my favorite tool storage. I know it's weird. <laughs> Shut up. No. But no, no so I'm, I'm going Pekovich with this answer. Oh God. So I, so I just rebuilt the base of my bench and I made, sh I used my old top, which I had ripped in half from the person who gave it to me so I could have a slot. And that way I could put tools in there. And it's wonderful to have your chisels, especially when I'm doing carving. They all just hang right there. My dog holes are another like mortise chisel fits right there. And, uh, a, a, you know, like a bench chisel fits over there. It is a wonderful way to work. And that split top, I'm not even thinking, so, or it's almost subconscious, me grabbing which size gouge that I want because they're all right there. And it lets me get into a flow. So when I redid my bench work base, I made sure there was a split top because it has just become a part of the way I work. Oh, I can't stand a split top bench, but that's a different program. I mean, I <laughs> hate the shavings that get under that fall through the split, <laughs> but it's yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan. What's I don't like having tools on my workbench. I like having only the tools I'm using at any given moment. But I'm also not doing small carving work. I'm doing larger casework for the most point. So I don't have room on my bench top for them. This is, with carving, it's like you put down this gouge and you'll pick it up five minutes later. Sure. So, and, and they just take up too much space on a wall where I, I think that would be a drag. Well, the other nice thing about a tool chest, I think, is that it sort of limits you. If your tool chest is where you're keeping your tools, then you won't buy a full set of tri scores if you don't need them. <laughs> no unitaskers. I also have this weird thing, because I do move a bunch, is I don't want anything that I can't pick up by myself, <laughs> which was another part of the reason I ripped the workbench top in half and is part of my aversion to a full-size tool chest. I think they, they seem to work really well. They seem to fit into a workflow nicely. They look gorgeous. They're a place to sit. But I'm just so worried about having something I can't pick up by myself. Sure, like I bought a nine-inch bandsaw for that reason. But when you get to my age, you won't be able to pick up your split-top bench by yourself. <laughs> <either>, so. Touche. <laughs> <Tina's> out. <laughs> 
<laughs> when when we were at Hands On Live in uh, San Diego, somebody had he had the Dutch tool chest that I mean, was it the crab lock? Oh yeah, they're beautiful. Oh god, all the hardware. I think it was Peter Ross. And I like I mean this thing was unbelievably beautiful. Every fitting of every tool was just perfect. And when I saw it and I helped him carry it, <laughs> but as soon as he put down, he opened it up. I said, "Oh. <laughs> I get it." You know, it was and I think my problem is that I I never I never want to dedicate that much time to making something that utilitarian that nice. But it's like when you see a beautiful tool chest or like but like Studley, I don't understand that. No, that one's too fussy. <laughs> I I almost understand the people replicating Studley tool chests more than I understand <laughs> Studley. <laughs> Well, but it's, you know, it's the same argument for any chest, uh, any grouping of tools. You pull out the ones you're using and then they're right there on your bench and then you put them away when you're done. So even if it is, even if you do have to lift three layers to get to something as in the studly or in my chest where I have to, you know, scrabble through the drawers and underneath to find what I need, I'm not putting them back every single time. I'm pulling out what I need uh, to use and then I put it away at the end of the day. Yeah. So it's more of a protective thing for me. But I will say uh, together, Chris and I have loaded his fully loaded anarchist tool chest into the back of his truck. Was it fun? No. Did I need a chiropractic <laughs> visit? Yes. But it can be done. And I'm not that strong. So. So uh, yes. no, I was going to say, I've been amazed at how much stuff can fit in a Dutch tool chest. And I made one for my brother. And I was down there at the start of the lockdown and we were working in his shop. And a third of the time when I asked him where a tool was, he's like, oh, and that thing you made me and that thing you made me, the blue thing you made me like, no, there's no way all this crap fits in there, dude. Cause I made it. I know how big it is. No, it all fit in there. And it was, <laughs> and it was big stuff like Sanders and actually it was all finishing stuff, but it was, it was kind of impressive. It was almost like watching clowns get out of a car. <laughs> so megan what's what's your uh what's your quick answer on why you hate split top workbenches oh because things fall through the middle and i i need the full width of my bench top which is admittedly fairly narrow it's 20 about 20 inches wide i think i think the one at home is 19 inches wide i just don't like having tools stick up in the middle. I need all that. It's a workbench. It's a work surface. It's not a tool storage thing. Yeah. I don't know. It's not traditional. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an old fashioned girl. What can I say? <laughs> all right. Let's, let's take a quick break. Regardless of your skill level in woodworking or home repair, you want a glue that you can trust because a glue that doesn't work can ruin any project in a hurry. Fortunately, Tightbond has the glue you need to get the job done with confidence. From interior glues with strong initial tack and short clamp times, to exterior glues with exceptional strength and water resistance, look to Tightbond, the right glue for your next project. For more information, visit tightbond.com, T-I-T-E-B-O-N-D.com. All right, question number three is from Aaron. 
is there a real benefit to a wooden bodied plane versus a cast iron? I know there are very pricey versions of both, and I'm wondering why someone would forego a slick Veritas or Lee Nielsen for a unique wooden-bodied beauty. Uh, also, what are the pros of building your own wooden-body planes? So let's let's go after the first one. Uh, I know I know where Barry stands on this. Megan, do you do you use wooden-body hand planes? I have used wooden-bodied hand planes, but uh, I do not own any other than molding planes and hollows and rounds. I don't. For me, it's because my hands are pretty small, and you have to be able to wrap them around the stock of the wooden-bodied plane uh, to use effectively. So I just don't find them as comfortable okay. as say a tote on a metal-bodied plane. And there are metal-bodied planes I don't like for the size of the tote, also. So I may not be the right person to ask uh, that. I, a lot of people I know argue that the feel of the wood on wood is, is a better sensory experience for a woodworker. Chris <laughs> 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 is not among them. Um, I am not the right person to ask that question of because I do have mostly metal-bodied planes. Okay. So, Barry. Really pretty, though. Yeah, it, it leaves it up to you now. I, so I mostly use my metal body planes because I find the adjusters not more intuitive, more reliable, maybe. You use the adjusters? Huh. On my metal bodies? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm talking about the lateral. I never use the lateral adjust, but. Sometimes, yeah. Well, like, sorry, when I put the. When I put a blade back in, I don't trust that my craftsman number five didn't move when I wasn't looking. (laughs) <laughs> so I have to like reset it. Um, but I find the, particularly the, the blade adjust more reliable than me tapping both sides of a blade with a hammer, like you would with a wooden body. But I love my wooden body ones and I use them particularly when something is exhausting. So like heavy stock removal, I prefer my wooden ones because the less weight I'm throwing around, the better I feel. Ditto with my my jointer plane is a wooden guy. And that's already kind of heavy. And so I don't want to do a lot of jointing with a metal one. Um, and I don't know if I'm losing benefits because of lack of mass. Megan, I'm curious what you think. Well, the laws of <laughs> physics think you're yeah. full of it. Um, but- <laughs> yeah, but people did work great work for hundreds of years with only wooden bodied planes. So I think it's probably just a preference based on what you're used to and availability, honestly. So so when I want something lighter, I'll grab my wooden ones. Um, And they are, are they more fun to use? Yeah. My, my Jack, my wooden Jack just feels like a really nice or not, not nice. Like it's not a nice tool. It's just, it's warm and it feels good and it's the wood on wood is pleasant. <laughs> so no wood on flesh. What am I talking about? <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't um, know. So it's, it's, it's like dropping a needle on a record for you. It's part of the romance. Except for the weight savings. Yeah. Yeah. Because that whole tactile feedback thing, I don't, I don't know. You know, it, they are different forms of feedback. So I think a like tear out on my wooden plane probably feels different than 
tear out on my metal plane, you know, like what I'm actually receiving when I'm planing, but mm-hmm. it's still, you still know that's tear out. You know, it's not like I am more attuned to the crappy shaving. So, so tear out isn't eased by the feeling. Right. Yeah. By, by I the am sense not of it. more yeah. like, I'm not more aware. It's still that I'm pretty awful. Out. Right. Yeah. Okay. That so. said, you can build your own. Anybody can build their, any woodworker can build their own wooden bodied plane with a little, you know, work. You can't, most of us can't build a metal bodied plane. So I can see an argument that if you want to get into plane making and I'm not a tool maker and I never will be, I like using them, not making them a uh, wooden body seems reasonable from that viewpoint. Yeah, I know that Vic in the past has said one great thing about being able to make your own planes is that you can easily or somewhat easily make, you know, a 50 degree uh, bed angle versus this. And, you know, you can experiment and try things. Um, Yeah, that's kind of my draw. I have a short list of planes that I want to have and I can't buy them. So these are the short list of planes I'm going to make <laughs> because right. it would be nice to have something high angle, you know, um, mm-hmm. without having to switch out a frog on my, well, no, they probably, I couldn't even probably find a frog for my craftsman. Um, so yeah, so that, that ability to make what I want or need for a task is a nice, is a nice appeal for wooden planes. I have never really used a wooden hand plane, so Oh, dude, they're great. They're a lot easier to flat. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. All right. Let's see. Um, I think the last question we'll get to is from Robert. Um, when the secondary bevel on my plane irons become too wide, I normally use sandpaper on a granite block to restore the primary bevel, which can be very slow. I've used grinding wheels to do this in the past, but I have upgraded to premium planes and don't want to deal with the inconsistencies that grinding can cause. I was thinking that an extra, extra coarse diamond plate, 120 grit may work just as well and be quicker than sandpaper. What do you think? I'm a grinder. Is the grinder. It's the inconsistencies are in the user, not in the tool. So practice. It's faster. I, I like, I am the guy who's bothered by inconsistencies and something like that. And I'm learning to get over that. Um, I cannot handle trying to, you know, grind a bevel on sandpaper. It just takes too long and I wind up half-assing it. Yeah. And it takes too long on any stone I've tried to, and maybe mm-hmm. it's just me, but you can show it to the grinder and be done with the grinding. And you st- no matter what you do, you still have to then uh, sharpen, hone, and polish on stones or whatever medium you use. So I'd rather get the dredge work done more quickly and get back to using the tool. And with the, the an extra, extra coarse diamond stone is not going to be cheap. No. So if you're going to put out that money and you're worried about the grinder, get one of those CBN wheels in my mind Mm -hmm. because they're forever crowned. They're going to be, they're going to run much cooler or they're less likely to burn your tool. So if you want to spend that 100 or 120, I'd get a CBN wheel and stick to the grinder, save all your sanity. Do, um, 
if you what? really don't like the inconsistencies and you want a perfectly flat tool, you get something like the, uh, is it the Mark II from Veritas, the flat grinder? That the, the disc one? Yeah, the disc grinder. Yeah. I mean, that is more reliable. It doesn't run as hot, um, but it's not as fast as a grinding wheel. Yeah. Is it still not? Okay. So nowhere near. What? What's your go-to for a um, a tool rest on your grinder or whatever? You guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, it's the one that came with it. Chris oh, has really? a okay. grinder, I think, out in the shop, and it's just the one that came with it, and we adjust it sort of by eye. I don't care if that primary bevel is at 25 or 26 or 24. It doesn't matter to me. Um, so we just adjust it by eye. Yeah. I have the Veritas tool rests. And they, they're wonderful, you know? The, so I, the reason why I ask is I think somebody would say, well, what about using something like the Veritas or um, there are others that have, for all intents and purposes, like a tiny miter gauge or a little oh, miter yeah. slot. Um, I never got used to that on the Veritas that, that we had at Fine Woodworking. And it, it never really made sense to me. Um how do you set your blade clamped in this thing and not jam it into the side of the the grinder? I didn't understand that. Um, well, like anything, it just takes practice. I'm sure I yeah. don't do that either. So yeah. <laughs> the, and with the grinder, it's going to be more versatile, right? So if you, if you want to tune up a gouge at some point, you're not going to do that with your honing gut. Well, I guess you could do it on extra, extra coarse diamond plate, but that's, going to take so long i'd worry it would introduce a lot of inconsistencies mm -hmm. you know so whereas the grinder just happens fast <laughs> but so, if you're looking for an excuse to buy a new diamond plate by all means do it so. <laughs> right yeah i don't want to hold yeah. you back yeah, <laughs> yeah i just I, a, a grinder takes practice and i I am at the very beginning of my journey to becoming a, a master of operating it. But anytime I wind up with, with a bevel that is inconsistent, I just, that's, that's one less. But don't get a hand crank grinder. I don't know if that's worth saying or not. I feel like it should be said because oh, I have fun. one. They're, yeah, they're fun. But like, <laughs> that's not what I want when I want to reestablish a bevel. They're Fair not enough. terrible. They're, they're not as laughable as I might be making them seem right now, but they are not the best solution to your problem. Well, no, because it's like patting your head and rubbing your yeah. belly. Two things at once. David Johnson swears by him. There's some Krenov people who, uh, who swear by him, but I just don't. I offered Anissa mine. She yeah. said no. <laughs> And she went to college and read right, yeah, she's, yeah. <laughs> You've been trying to give that thing away for a while. Oh man. And I finally I think, mounted it in my, at my sharpening station. Like, you know, just use it, just use it. No, I hate it. They look cool. I don't hate they, yeah. they do look cool. Yeah. And you feel kind of rhythmic when you get up to a certain speed, but then you put a blade on it and everything goes to poop. So. Yeah. I've only <laughs> used one a few times, which is why I think they're fun. If I had to do that, <laughs> no, I probably would. would I've never had to rely on one. That's why uh, I think they're fun. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so, all right. So just stick with the grinder, get used to it. Yeah. Or buy the diamond plate just because you want it. <laughs> Can't argue with that. Can How often do you get that Megan? Cause you teach a fair amount. How often do you get the student that comes up asking about a tool 
because they just want to buy the tool and they want a green light. Well, I would never stop anyone from getting what they want unless it were a bad choice. I'll tell people I have, I, I won't publicly like out to the wide world, say this tool sucks. Don't buy it. But I'll tell you one-on-one -on -one if you're making a bad choice, uh -huh. but usually when people want to buy something and they ask me about it, they're asking for permission to spend $300, not 10 because who cares about $10, right? Yeah. Well, some days I do, but um <laughs> Yeah, there's, I mean, and that's one of the reasons I encourage people to take classes at a place that allows you to use a variety of tools because there are, I'm sorry, Robin Lee, the Veritas handles on the bevel up planes are too large for my hands. So I don't personally use those. However, they fit many people very well. So I want them to get their hands on that versus uh, traditional Stanley or, or the Lee Nielsen handles to feel what it feels like before you make that purchase decision, because yeah. that's really the only way you can know is, is to try it out that ditto with dovetail saw handles or what have you. But I'll give anyone permission to buy most things if they're just looking for an excuse well, you know, if you have a tool that you love and that you love using, you're going to use it more, arguably. So hopefully it encourages you. Yeah. So, I mean, come 2021, I think the listeners should take a Dutch tool chest class at Lost Art Press with Megan. And yes. she'll, she'll let you try all the planes, right? We will. Absolutely. Yep. I wrote <laughs> about them. The on my alone. Yeah. yeah. Well, I wrote about them on my last blog for fine woodworking uh, for you guys. So, oh, that's you. So <laughs> you know, I'll tell you to buy the number three, as I said there, the Lee Nielsen number three, but there are lots of other good choices. So put your hands on them before you decide to plunk your money down. And honestly, so this is that try it before you buy it thing. I, I am the guy who I like the feel of the Veritas bevel up hand tote. I almost said handle. Um, and, but I got a number three. I traded some tacos um, for a number three and uh, it's a Stanley number three. And that is now my go-to. And I would have always I thought that my, three. my big sausage hands would not, would not conform with a number three very well. And that is my go-to smoother. I love that thing. So get your hands on as much as you can. Yeah. But if you want the tool, you know, buy the tool. <laughs> <laughs> and if you can trade tacos for the tools, you should do Even that. Better. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's see. We've got, uh, I forgot to put a listener comment in this one. So I just dug this one up fast. This is from Magnus in Georgia. I found this podcast while looking for apron recommendations. <laughs> and after listening to them nerd out about <laughs> aprons and pencils for half an hour, I'm hooked. <laughs> Now I'm downloading episode one and I'll listen to them all. Didn't There's Mike say that was the beginning of the end for us? That there was something about the apron episode. I got so many comments, oh. comments about, and then like somebody was like, was like, well, we, we need, we need more pencil talk. And I was like, we talked about pencils for 25 minutes. What's wrong with you? No, we can't do that. <laughs> But well, I do have on my tool list for every class a 0.05 millimeter pencil, and it is important. So. Thank you. <laughs> I love my 0.5. Oh, crucial. What's What am I missing with the 0.5? Well, my eyes are really shit. 
crappy. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so after I've knifed in a line, like for knifed in my dovetails, when I'm doing transfer, I can't see the line, the knife line. So if I drop a pencil into there and a thin one, a 0.05, uh, actually catches both sides of that knife line. So in effect, I've marked both sides of the cut. And then I can see to remove half of that cut and leave the other half of that pencil line. It doesn't work with a fatter pencil. So right on. That's why I like it. So I can see things. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I like that. All right. Why do you use a 0.5? Just because. Barry? Because it's super fine. And it's not, I try to point three. It's, yeah. I mean, so I try to point three, that thing, you, you breathe on it and it snaps. Yeah. That wasn't working. Point seven is too thick. And point five, it's a nice, fine layout line. So if I'm tapping, and I talked about this on a previous podcast and I can't explain it succinctly, but Andrew Hunter, he did an article about sliding dovetails and tapered sliding dovetails for tabletops. And he had a way of tapping a fence into place so it matched up with layout lines. And with a 0.5, I feel really good. And when I do that technique, I feel really good with the 0.5 because it is such a nice, crisp, tight line. I feel comfortable my routing or whatever is going to be accurate. Now we've jumped the shark into pencils. I know, I know. It's inevitable. I I bent it. No more pencils. (laughs) Let's talk about best ways to tie back your hair in the shop if it's long. Uh, Uh, Sleeve. Yeah, sleeve. I feel like... (laughs) I use a pencil, honestly. I've never had that much length. (laughs) All right, let's see. So I think that about does it for this episode. (laughs) 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 Uh, If you have any questions you'd like us to answer on the show, send them into shoptalkattaunton.com. If you're watching on YouTube, click that thumbs up button. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Thank you for listening. I just that's that's one less. Was that is that Jeff? Jeff! Jeff! Jeff. This is wonderful. <laughs> Samuel He's the chosen one. Oh man. I feel like going through my computer for some <laughs> <laughs>